Let's turn for a little to the chapter we read in John's Gospel, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 2. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. <clears throat> As we know, this chapter, John chapter 15, is part of uh, Jesus' great teaching and instruction uh, prior to his death. We have so many of these great chapters. In fact, some, some Christians have learnt by heart, some, not the whole the whole lot, but some have learned by heart. They've set out to learn by heart uh, a lot of uh, what uh, the, of these verses because it's so rich in teaching and instruction. Uh, so we so often go back to to these chapters and these verses. And in this chapter, uh, Jesus is instructing his disciples in three vital relationships. Uh, The disciples of Christ are to be rightly related uh, to Jesus, they are to be rightly related to one another, and they are to be rightly related to the world. That's in in this teaching, there are these three areas, three aspects. And so the disciples of Jesus have three particular duties, a duty to abide in Christ, a duty to love one another, and a duty to witness and testify to the world. These are the sort of the three things that come out uh, from this. And uh, Jesus here is giving the last of the great I am statements. We know that uh, in, the, in his life he gave these statements like I am the door and I am, uh, I am the good shepherd. And here this is the last of them where Jesus says I am the true vine. And uh, the vine in many ways was the supreme symbol in Israel. There was a, like a, a golden vine trailed above the porch, the entrance to the porch of the temple. And so often there were uh, indications or allusions to the vine right throughout the Bible. Uh, I believe, uh, I think history will, will show us that when there was a revolt in 68, 68 to 70 AD before the Romans completely uh, destroyed Jerusalem. They, there was this Jewish revolt, and that they sort of, when they minted their own coins, on that coin there was the inscription of of the vine because it was the the great symbol of Israel. And uh, we find, as we say, allusions to this all the way through. For instance, Psalm 80 very much highlights of how Israel was the vine that was taken out of Egypt. Uh, but sadly. As time went on, that vine ended up being burnt up because uh, the the vine lost its way. And uh, you see, this is what the Lord had. His great purpose in Israel was that it was to be through Israel who had, were given the word, given the law, that it was through Israel. That was a great promise that was given to Abraham that through him and his seed that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Israel were to keep their own identity by seeking to establish the worship of God and remain true to that worship. And it was through that way that the word was to be spread 
throughout the world. But as we, if you follow through biblical history, so often, rather than being a light to the nations round about, they began to embrace the ways, the practices, the customs of all the nations round about, and they took on board their worship as well. And of course, this was an offence to the Lord because uh, they they embraced the, the idolatry and the practices so that rather than being a blessing to other nations, they fa- discovered that the nation, the other nations had become like a curse to them. And so this is why, <clears throat> like for instance in Psalm 80, it talks about the vine being burnt up. But then again in Psalm 80, it goes on to say, uh, and speaking of the Lord Jesus, that the, this is what it says, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. This was to be the true vine that God was going to bring a true vine and through this vine then that all the branches would be fed and through be nourished. And so Jesus is here saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now the vine, of course, we know, just in the same way as a tree, the vine is what gives strength and nourishment to, to all the branches and to all the clusters of grapes and Unless the, the vine is able to nourish, unless there is a, the, the, the feeding coming through, then there won't be fruit on it. And Jesus is holding himself up as the one. And he says, listen, it is only in and through me that you will be given the grace, the strength, the help. It is only through me that you will truly be able to bear fruit to the glory of God. In and of yourself, you can't do it. It's only in and through me. And that's how Jesus is describing himself. And that's why Jesus is using the the expression so often of abiding in him, that abide in me and I in you as a branch. That's what he says in verse 4, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If a branch is cut off and it's lying on the ground, that branch will eventually just wither and die away. It's, 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 the source of its life has been taken away. And Jesus is saying the same. If you, you are not abiding in me, if you're not united to me, then you will not bear fruit. It's as simple as that. And uh, then uh, he, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The one who is over it all is the Father. It's the Father who has appointed Jesus as a vine. And the Father is the one who is attending to us all. He's the one who is over it all. We've also got to remember that, that God has a, a specific interest in every single one of us. Even today, we don't, we don't take any movement or do anything without his knowledge. And he is the one who cares for us. The one who's looking after us. And he is the one who will seek to feed us in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what the Lord says here is often, as his teaching is often solemn, it's often challenging. He says, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the Lord is saying here, there are some branches in other words, there are some people within the church, and we use that in the, in the broadest possible sense. When we talk of the church, 
we don't we're not talking about us just here and even if we were to talk just of us here within the, within the church what we term the church in its broadest sense there will be people who will say that they're Christians but the fact is that they're not bearing fruit and at the end of the day it's the Lord alone who's over all that the Lord alone really knows you and I don't we don't even know ourselves properly and that's why we're told not to judge. Scripture's very strong on that because we're very prone to judge one another and make assessments of one another and to work out who, who this person is and that person. And we, we, have a, we, have a, we tend to think we know. We don't. And often, you know how often we've, we've said over the course of our life, you know this, I got, all, I got that all wrong. And we're, that's why the Lord says, don't judge other people. You don't know. There's only one who can judge a right, and that's the Lord, because he knows exactly. He knows his own. He knows who are truly his. So not everybody who might say, oh, I'm a Christian, is really a Christian. And the, the Lord himself is the one who knows. And that's what he says, those, every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. This is the key that we have to ask ourselves, are we bearing fruit? Now, he says then that, the, that he's, going to, he's going to take them away. Now, that might, people may say, well, that, that's very harsh teaching. Are you saying that within the Christian church there are people who maintain they're Christians, but they're not, and the Lord's going to take them away? Well, that's actually what he says. It's not me that's making that up. This is what, what he says. And uh, you may say to yourself, well, how can, you, how can you base that? Well, take, for instance, the Lord in the parable of the sower shows that the good seed is sown. And there are different responses. Remember the first, there was the first where the, the, the seed fell and the birds of the air came and plucked up the seed. And Jesus shows that that's what happened. Satan so often takes away the seed before it, it can get into our hearts. But then there was seed that fell on shallow ground. And the ground was, the, there was a, only a wee bit of soil, and then it was all rock underneath. And the, the seed went down, and it seemed to spring up for a little. But then it, it withered away, because there was no root in it. It didn't take root, and so it perished, it died. And he was saying that there are some people, that it seems for a little while, that they're beginning to follow the Lord. And maybe it might appear that, oh, the, there's... Yeah, I'm a Christian. But then after a wee while, they fall away, they disappear. They've stopped. And there's others, she said, in the parable, uh, like in in the stay in in the sower, that it's sown amongst weeds. And the weeds strangle and choke. But then there's others that fall on the good ground, and it springs up, and it brings forth fruit to 30, to 60, and 100 fold. And so Jesus is saying, this is how it's going to be in the church. Again, you look at biblical history. At the very beginning, the first two born into this world, Cain and Abel, both of them sacrificed to the Lord. God accepted the sacrifice of one. He accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's because Cain came a different way. Cain chose to come his own way. It's very obvious from the very beginning that God had set out the way of coming was by sacrifice through blood. 
The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. That's why Jesus shed his blood for us. And in the Old Testament it was always pointed to what Jesus would eventually do by the shedding of blood. Abel came the correct way. Abel came by blood. He took the, uh, the, the, the sheep of the lamb, offered us a sacrifice. Cain, who was keener on the gardening, he took some of the produce of the garden and he sacrificed it. The Lord didn't accept it. And we know the outcome of what happened there. But it's just showing how from the very beginning. You look at when, when Israel wanted a king. And the first king that God appointed for them was Saul. And to begin with, Saul uh, seemed a good king. But we know then that there was another king appointed, and that was David. So the first two kings that were appointed, and appointed by God, the first king Saul, but remember both of them sacrificed to the Lord, both Saul and David sacrificed. But we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. But that God rejected Saul. Saul turned away from the Lord. And he went on a downward spiral. So that in the end we find that Saul actually is consulting mediums and uh, a, a witch. He's gone so far away. And uh, we're told he's rejected. People will say, was Saul lost? Well, we, we're not told uh, specifically in the scripture. Although... It doesn't look good for Saul because of this downward spiral. Uh, people say, well, he must have been lost if the Lord rejected. But some people will say, well, the Lord rejected him with regard to his kingship. But maybe didn't reject him as a person. But then others will say, well, he must have. Because his end was, it was just, it was a downward spiral going further and further and further away. And then people will say, well... What about, surely then the New Testament will be different when we come to Jesus. Well, you think Jesus appointed, he chose 12, 12 specific disciples. You look in there, coming to the end of Jesus' life, and you see them gathered together in this room. And you look along, and there's John, and he's leaning against the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's, he's leaning against Jesus. It's very intimate. And then you look a wee bit further along. There's another disciple there. That's Judas. And both John and Judas followed Jesus for the three years. Judas would have had a great testimony. Judas went out doing great things. Judas went out preaching along with the others. They went out in twos. They went out teaching and preaching and healing and all sort of things. And yet Judas was planning while he was sitting there of betraying Jesus. And the other disciples didn't know. Because when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they all began to say, is it me? And nobody automatically said, well, that'll be Judas. It's pretty obvious who that is. Because Judas seemed the same as them. They never for one moment suspected. But Jesus knew because Jesus had said that Judas had a devil in him. Judah, Jesus knew the heart of Judas. And we know, and scripture is more specific, much more specific with regard to, to Judas than of Saul, that uh, Judas was lost. So it's, it, that's so, I just find that so searching, so solemn. That you can be so close, so much part of the church, 
and yet not be abiding in Jesus Christ. Not bearing fruit. So, Jesus... Jesus' teachings, although they're, 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 they're often so warm, so lovely, they're often so challenging and, and hard-hitting. So Jesus then tells us what's going to happen, that the Lord is going to take away. That there's two things happen. One, when the Lord comes to look for fruit, if there is no fruit, and there won't be any fruit, there can't be fruit, if the branch is not in the vine. If it is severed, if it's not in the vine. Now, again, the Bible will tell us very clearly that a person cannot be in Christ one day and out of Christ another. It's important, you know, this is one of the great, wonderful truths of the Bible, that you can't be saved and lost. Irrespective of what you may do if you are, if you are truly a Christian, if you are truly in Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ has died for you, if you are in a union with Jesus Christ, irrespective of what you may do, you cannot be lost. The Bible shows us that. And again, that's one of the things that God's Word does show us, is that some of God's people, they did awful things. And David, that great man, who wrote the most wonderful lyrics that have that any songwriter has ever written, that have just gone right deep into the into the heart of every person. I mean, what David did, it really is quite extraordinary. Because when he went into this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, to cover his tracks, to kill, to have murdered one of his most loyal... Because that man Uriah was a man that was just utterly loyal to David. He was a friend of David. And yet he had him killed. And so, I mean, we might say to ourselves, whatever I've done, I never did what David did. But the point is that, and David, of course, repented incredibly over his sin. Psalm 51 and other Psalms will tell us that. But the, 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 the point is that our, once we are united to Jesus Christ, we are safe. But the point is this, that there are people who aren't united to Christ, who are in the church. And that is why the Bible always says, examine yourselves, whether you'd be in the faith. It's important. It's important that we examine ourselves. So when the Lord comes looking for fruit, and there is none, because we're not united to him, then we're told that he will take it, he'll take that branch away. And we sometimes ask, how, how does the Lord different? How does the Lord show this? Well, it happens through different ways. You know, sometimes there are people who begin to follow the Lord, and they, they start out following the Lord. And you know, it's, it's a lot easier to follow the Lord when everything's going well. It's a lot easier to be a Christian when everything is going well, and your life is running smoothly, and you almost feel the smile of providence on you and it's a good day and you're feeling well and everything's going well are you a christian yeah it's fine there was a day when it was popular to say hosanna after jesus and you know when it's like that but then when things change and life is tough and your your world your personal world goes upside down and every day seems to be difficult it's a struggle 
And then you see it, you look around and other people are getting on. And you look at all those people, they never darken the door of the church, they're not interested in God, and they're not interested. And they're getting on fine. And you say to yourself, poor, what, what, why? That's what, like in Psalm 73, the psalmist is saying, I, I've done, I, I've been following the Lord, it's all in vain. This is often the great separation that takes place. Those who truly belong to the Lord, they, will, they hang on in the difficulty. They'll hang, they cling on. Sometimes they feel they're barely clinging on. But they're like Peter. They say, to whom else can we go? Because you've got the words of eternal life. Lord, I have the first idea what you're doing to me right now. Lord, it doesn't seem fair. I just feel broken and empty. And sometimes you can feel anger in your heart. You can feel all kinds of things. You feel bitter. You say, what's the point? And yet you can't go back. You keep following on. You keep following. Why? Because he won't let you go. That's why. But there are others. And they'll go back. And they'll say, oh, that's it. John Bunyan makes that beautiful illustration of this very thing. Remember when, <clears throat> when Christian left the city of destruction. And uh, two people went out after him, obstinate, obstinate and pliable. And uh, they were trying to get him to come back. And he was telling them of... All the beauties or the wonder of the celestial city to where he was going. Obstinate said, I'm not going to listen to any more of this. And he went back. But Pliable thought, oh, this is good. I want to hear more of this. I'm coming along with you. And on they went. And he was, Christian was telling Pliable more and more about what was happening and going to happen. And then all of a sudden they fell into this huge bog. Into the slough of despond. And... Remember what, how, how Bunyan describes it. Christian worked his way through it, but pliable. He, he just went back. He pulled himself out and he said, if that's what it's about, I'm out of this. And he went back to the city of destruction. And that's a picture exactly of what happens with so many people. That's what happened in the, life, in the time of Jesus. So many were following him. Crowds following him. But when his teaching became difficult... We read about it in John chapter 6. They, did, they, they, they began to take objection. They began to be offended by what he was saying. And huge crowds began to desert him. To the point where Jesus turns to the twelve and he said, Are you also going to go away? And that's where Peter said, To whom else can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. But it's an awful thing what we see here in, because it says in verse 6 if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. What so many people don't realize is that God made us for himself. For his glory. That is the chief purpose of our existence. And God is looking at every single life and he's saying is there fruit to my glory? Is this person living for me? If not, no matter what you might do in this world, at the end of the day, God is saying, no, it's got to be fruit to my glory. And so, this is a sad and the, the solemn thing. But then it tells us this, that when the Lord comes looking for fruit, and he finds a fruit, what does he do? He prunes. In other words, he begins to cut 
You know, when you when you prune a, when you start in the garden and maybe you're going to do a bit of pruning, you get, you get out to, you get out the 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 the, the prune, pruning shears. You 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 clip away. And if you were if you were at a brand a, 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 a weed bush that's alive, you'd be saying, oh no no, but obviously not. But but in a sense, if we if we look at it at a spiritual point of view, that's what the Lord is doing. And it's funny, you know, sometimes uh, people, when they're pruning, they really cut away. And you think to yourself, oh, what on earth have you done to that? And people who, people who really know what they're doing, it's amazing how sometimes they cut things back. And then when you come later in the, ne- the next year, you say, whoa, what growth there. Because it was important in order to get more fruit and more growth, there has to be a cutting back. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing with you and with me as well. And there have been days along the way, and you've been you giving out the ows and the yelps and so on. But the Lord is saying, I have to do this, because I want more fruit from your life. Now, of course, we're not all going to bear the same level of fruit. Jesus said that. Some will be thirtyfold. Some people are content with a little love and a little joy and a little grace. But the great thing is this, as long as there is fruit. Spurgeon used to say, a little, <clears throat> a little fruit uh, will bring us to heaven. But a lot of fruit will bring heaven to us. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of truth in that. Thankfully the Lord doesn't say, when he comes and he finds only a little fruit that he takes it away. No, he doesn't. It's only when there is no fruit that he takes away. But it does, if there's a little fruit, and you notice there's a progression goes on. Because it says, first of all, that bears fruit. And then it goes on to say, bears more fruit. And then it bears much fruit. So that there's this ongoing growth. It's, it's becoming greater and greater. So, what, this, is, this is God's great, great purpose for us. And I suppose you have to ask yourself, what, what is the evidence that... That, that you're bearing fruit. Well, I would say the, the most basic thing is that you have a love to and for the Lord. Do you have that today? And I'll add this, that you have a love to and for the Lord, but you lament, you mourn, you're sad at how little love you have to and for the Lord. And your desire, it's one of the greatest desires in your heart, is that you want more love. You're saying, if only I could, if only I could love the Lord more. And you come sometimes, you'll come to church, and you'll think that every other person in the church loves the Lord far more than you do, and you want to really love the Lord. Let me tell you, nobody can think like that unless the Lord is in their heart. You cannot. It's impossible. It's only a, a Christian that will have the desire to love the Lord more and more. Because you say, Lord, and and, and your your sense of indwelling sin, the sense of your failure, all these things, and and the fact that you grieve the Lord. You know, so often you say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Now, I know that I would say that 99.9% of the population, when they do wrong, there might be some people that that there's the, the odd person, and you come across people like that who seem to be void of any sense of feeling or conscience or any awareness of right or wrong. 
And these people are, they're obviously, a, a, I would say, a threat to society. But 99.9% of people have, though that might, will have a sense of wrongdoing and be aware and that everybody at some time will, or that all people will have a sense of remorse and a sense of guilt. And even although for some people it, it might be, some people might be really hard and might not have much of it, but everybody has. But the Christian, it's not just a sense of when you go wrong. It's a sense of your wronging against God. And you say, oh Lord, Lord I, I can't believe the kind of person I am. Please, please, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me my sin. Lord, I've let you down again. And there's all this. So all these are indicators of our, of our love of the Lord. Our, our problem with ourselves. Ourself, self is such a problem and we become weary. Have you ever become weary of yourself? You say, you know, this, I'm tired, I'm tired of myself. Because you, it's not that you hate yourself, but you're, you're tired, weary of your failure of not being who you want to be. So often, that, and you're saying, Lord, because you're, why do you, are you weary of yourself? Because you want to be more like the Lord. And you feel just a, that, that it's not so. And so the Lord says he's going to prune us. And he, because he wants more fruit. And as we said, this pruning can be, can be difficult. And so the Lord is, is going, to, going to prune us. And the times he's most likely to come and prune us is when, yes, he finds fruit. But he says, I want more fruit. And the Lord knows. He can read our hearts. He knows what we're like. And he says, I know what's needed here. If he sees pride within our heart, he says, well, I, this man, this woman needs to be humbled a bit. Because we're always needing to be humbled. Or if he sees us becoming too settled in the world. And sometimes we become comfortable in the world. Not saying, of course, we live in the world, we work in the world, we interact in the world, we're, we're in the world. And we make the most of what we've got here. And we should. And we should be focused on the Lord and be committed in our, in, our, in our lives. But if the Lord sees us beginning to lose the focus on himself and becoming more and more comfortable just where we are in the world and losing the, losing the spiritual vitality and the world's becoming more attractive to us and we're being to settle down and take our ease and the Lord's saying, I'm, I'm going to shake it up a wee bit. I'm going to just move things around a wee bit here. And it doesn't take long until we realize, oh no, I'm losing, and, and we're then again uh, looking to the Lord and, and seeking from Him. And so the Lord is, is, is pruning us more and more all the time. And so it's important that we learn to live in this way. And it should be our prayer, Lord, help me to be a fruit-bearing Christian. And the Bible is very clear on what that fruit is. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're, we're told there in the, as, uh, in, 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 the, in the bearing of fruit. There should be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what should characterize our life. That's what a Christian is. A person who is living in this way where there is, and as they deal in all the different situations in life, there is love and there is joy and there is peace. And there's gentleness. And that's a witness that affects the world. Some Christians say, oh, in, order to, 
in order to witness for Christ, we have to become absolutely identical to the world. Well, that's no witness. It's, it's where we bring a different attitude and a different spirit. Not trying to be different, but just seeking that Jesus will shine in us and through us, and that the fruit of the Spirit will be that that's what operating in life, and in our work, in our home, in all the different places and situations that we find ourselves in. And so let us examine ourselves, because it's vital to see, are we branches that are abiding in him? Abiding abiding is a, it's one of John's favorite words. It's one of the great words of Scripture. Abiding in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to abide within us. When we leave this world, we go to abide in glory forever. Abide is, you're always there. You don't leave it. And that's a wonder. When Jesus Christ comes through the Spirit into our heart, into our life, he comes to abide, to stay, to take up residence forever. When we leave this world, if we are in Jesus, we go to abide in his presence, live with him forever. Is that how we are today? Is that where you are today? Abiding in Jesus. May we seek then, so that as the psalmist says, that in old age, when others fade, they fruit still forth shall bring. You know, it's lovely to see an old fruit-bearing Christian. It's lovely to see old Christians who are maturing. And you say to yourself, you know, there's, there's, there's something lovely about that person. And even sometimes when the, the age is taking away so much that they have or that they had in life, yet there is still this sense of the, 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 you can see the Lord in them. It's a wonderful thing. And we should be praying for that, that in old age when others fade, that we still fruit, that we'll still bear fruit to his name. Let us pray. Lord our God, we pray that we might be fruit-bearing Christians, that we might be rooted in you. Have mercy upon us, Lord, for when we let you down and fail you, but we give thanks for your patience with us and for your goodness and grace towards us. We pray that you will take us to our homes, to on wherever we're going, that you will be with us and that you will bless us not only throughout this day, but that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and that all of us will dwell in your house forever. Take away from us our sin in Jesus' name. Amen.